Good morning and welcome. We are so pumped that you're here today. This is our uh, first Sunday gathering in our new home, and uh, we're we're just we're excited. I want to. Uh, can we just give honor where honor is due to the team who helped put this together this week? Come on. And we know that, uh, that this is just a starting point for us in our, in our church. We, I love the fact that every chapter uh, of our church has uh, been preceded by a big step of faith. And we're making moves and we're watching God do some incredible things. We saw some people give their life to Jesus in the first worship experience. We know that there's going to be people who do the same in this one and in the next one to come on Monday night as well. I want to say uh, welcome to you. If you are here for the first time, we consider it an honor and a privilege. My wife and I are so grateful that you would spend one of your Christmas uh, Sundays with us. Do want to let you know if you're here for the first time, we just want you to fill out that connect card because we love to connect with you. As she said earlier, we're not weird or creepy. We just want you to know that we're grateful you're here. Church, can you help me welcome every person here for the first time? Come on. And hey, if you're here too and, uh, and you're like super skeptical about this whole church thing or this whole Jesus thing, here's what I want to say. We're, we're, we're glad you're here. And this is a place where you can belong before you believe. And we're grateful that you would entrust us as you're exploring your faith journey. I want to deliver to you today uh, a Christmas message. It's um, pretty, pretty a foundational Christmas message. I'll be honest. Normally I come like out the box with something crazy. But I felt like sometimes uh, going back to the basics is what we really need as people. How many of you love Christmas movies? Right? A lot of you. Wow. See, the 9 a.m. just wasn't as festive as y'all were, right? But, man, I love the movie Elf. Now, I think Elf is one of the best Christmas movies ever. But imagine with me for a moment that Buddy the Elf was taken out of the movie Elf. It's a pretty weird movie at that point. Because if you're missing the main character of a movie, then the movie really doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I mean... Let's be honest, too, right? Some of you came here today to finally settle the debate. Yes, Die Hard is the best Christmas movie, right? Come on. <laughs> but if you take the main character out of a movie, it doesn't really make any sense at all. And so sometimes when we read throughout the Old Testament, if we don't understand that the main character of the story is coming, that the main character of the story has been promised, and in the New Testament it will be fulfilled, then we're going to read through the Old Testament and feel like there's something that's kind of missing here. And his name is Jesus. And what we see in John's Gospel, John is going to give us an account of uh, the birth of Jesus, really. Uh, but John doesn't start out with, with uh, something like this. You know, Mary and Joseph rode in on a donkey to Bethlehem and baby Jesus was born. Now you'd think if you were going to start out telling the story of Jesus, that's kind of how you would start the story. But John says if you really want to understand the Christmas message, if you want to understand who Jesus is, there's something else you have to understand first. And this is how John starts off his gospel account. In John chapter 1, verse 1, he says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. John wants to make sure you and I know. Now, other Gospels do it a little bit differently. And if you're looking from the outside in, you may think, well, well, some of these accounts are contradictory. But if you and I all saw the same movie or the same car crash take place, what we would 
take from it would be something different. And these are just men who are taking their accounts of what they saw and through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit are pinning for us. But, but as he writes John chapter 1, he, he doesn't say, all right, first we've got to get baby Jesus, right? Lying in a manger, six pounds, seven ounces, right? You know, like, <laughs> y'all sinners, right? Like, if you laughed, no. Nah. Doesn't do that. He says, I want to make sure you get something. In the beginning was the Word. Do you know in Genesis chapter 1, when you first open your Bible, it starts out just like John chapter 1. In the beginning, God created. So what John's trying to get you and I to understand is that Jesus wasn't just something that happened in the Old Testament, but he's been the plan from the very beginning. In the beginning of Genesis, we can see Jesus there because another statement that God makes is in verse 26 of chapter 1 to let us make man in our image because we serve a God who exists in three parts, Father, Son, and Spirit. But If you go back to Genesis chapter 1, you're going to see that in the beginning, God creates the heavens and the earth. And it's beautiful. It's it's perfect. God speaks and there's light. He breathes and he makes man. And literally, if you could imagine for a moment that like this represents Adam and Eve and, and creation and this box represents God, like they were super close together. I mean, they were made to do life. Adam is sitting on the park bench in the garden and God walks up to say, hey man, what are you doing? He's like, dude, you gave me a job. i got to name all the animals. What do you think I'm doing? Right? Like, I'm, I'm working. They were doing life together. God designed you and I to be in close proximity to him. That we would have access, complete access, that there would be nothing separating us and God. That's Genesis chapter 1 and 2. But then we get to Genesis chapter 3. John told us that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. He's talking about Jesus. And so God tells Adam and Eve that there's one tree in the whole world they can't eat from. And through that one thing, God spoke. Spoken things are words. So God speaks, gives them that command. Eve then chooses to eat from that tree. What is she doing? Well, she's not just accepting sin, she's rejecting the Word. She's rejecting Jesus. And as she turns and thinks that she can do it better on her own or that maybe God's withholding something from her, immediately what happens is Scripture says their eyes were open and they realized that they were naked. So God comes back into the garden and He says, Adam... Where are you? Not because God didn't know where Adam was geographically or locationally. Because God is all-knowing. But 15, 20 minutes ago, they were like this. Right? And some of y'all, these are Amazon boxes, right? Y'all know me and my UPS driver, we got a good relationship. (laughs) They were close. But now when God comes back into the garden, sin has created separation. There's a gap between where they are and where God is that sin created. And this is not a new gap for you and I. This is the gap we live in today. That because of our sin, and we've all sinned, 
We've all fallen short. We've all made mistakes. Because of that, there's a separation between where God is and where we are. And so we keep looking, and and you can keep reading through the Old Testament, and then you're going to find a guy named Noah. And Noah's life is really crazy because God realizes that the world is filled with too much sin, filth, and pollution. So he's he's basically going to start over. But he saves the world through Noah and Noah's family. And at the end of that, after the world has been flooded and Noah's still there, God gives them a rainbow as a promise. And it's not just a promise to never flood the world again. It's a promise that saving is coming. That there's a Savior who's on the way. Go back to Genesis and you'll see in the end of the the garden story, we think that it's really bleak and really terrible. Yeah, they're separated from God now and God goes through a process of what life is going to look like now that they're separated. But the good news in Genesis chapter 3 comes in around verse 23 where it says that God made a covering for them. So there was an animal that was slaughtered and he makes clothing for them to ultimately say one day through bloodshed, I'll cover your nakedness. I'll cover your sin. I'll cover your guilt. There's a promised Savior. We go through the Old Testament and we'll see over and over again that there were all of these problems that sin created. God's people find themselves in captivity. And what does God do? God raises up a man named Moses to go proclaim that captives are to be set free. And Moses leads them out of Egypt into what is known as the promised land. Now they're heading to the promised land, but there's a problem. Just because you get out of Egypt doesn't mean that Egypt's out of you. And so they're walking, heading into freedom. They have complete, they have, they have access to God now because God's providing for them by day. There's this thing called the tabernacle, which was like a portable church. There was pipe and drape. There were curtains and rods. There was this one room in the back where the priest would atone for sins and people could have access to God through sacrifices, but it was temporary. God's providing for them, but there's still all of these issues because sin has created a gap between where God originally created us and where he desires us to be. You can see other passages of Scripture where giants would stand in opposition of God and God's people, so God would, again, raise up a man named David. And David and Goliath is not just a great story about a giant slayer, but it's to show us that God would then raise up a man by the name of Jesus. God would send him to die in our place so that the giant of sin could be defeated in our life once and for all. Everything is about Jesus. If you go back and read John's account, why John starts with, in the beginning was the Word, is because he wants us to know Jesus. Over and over, we see Daniel thrown into a pit. We find God's people experiencing hardships and opposition. As I was doing some studying this week, I thought it was interesting. I found myself, um, anybody ever been like frustrated with how your week is going? Right? The rest of y'all lying, right? (laughs) And so I found myself incredibly frustrated with how my week was going. And so uh, I, I stepped back and said, okay, what do you not have right now? And the answer was joy. So I said, we're going to do some studying on the word joy. And what I thought was super interesting is it it looked, uh, I found this. It says this, the definition of joy um, is the experience of deliverance and the anticipation of salvation, that which provided the most significant occasions for rejoicing for the people in the Old Testament. So the reason why people had joy in the Old Testament is because they were waiting for a Savior. They had anticipation for what was to come. But then we get into the New Testament, and this is what it talks about. It says this, 
that the new, in the New Testament, the coming of the Messiah who delivers his people and brings salvation becomes the basis of rejoicing for God's people in the New Testament. In other words, we're not waiting anymore. So Matthew chapter 1, verse 23 says this, that the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And what you and I get to understand this Christmas is that God saw the gap that was between us and him, and he desired for it to be mended. But the first thing that you and I have to come to grips with, this first thing is this, that Jesus is God. If you only look at Jesus as a good teacher, he might temporarily change your attitude, but he won't save you from your sin. Jesus is more than a good teacher. He's fully God. Jesus is more than a good dude. He's the Savior of the world. Jesus is more than just a friend. He's the payment of our sin. You and I have to come to grips with and wrestle with, do we actually believe Jesus is God? Because if we don't, then our sin isn't covered. And what Scripture says is that the wages of sin are death. But those who trust in the Lord won't perish but have everlasting life. So my goal for you today is, is not that you just come in and you hear a great Christmas message or you leave encouraged, fired up, pumped up, ready to charge hell with a water pistol. Like, I hope that's where you end up. But like, I want you to really wrestle with, do you believe Jesus is God? Do you believe that Jesus died for your sins? Do you believe that he was not just partially God and partially man, but he was both fully God and fully man? And if Jesus is fully God and fully man, it means, first of all, that he is all-powerful. Like He has full power, full authority, which makes what he did for you and I so incredible. At any time as Jesus was hanging on the cross, he could have hopped off, gotten off. He could have chose to step down. He could have had all of heaven's angels to just slaughter everybody. I mean, he could have done that. The scripture says he was obedient to the point of death. Being fully God gives him all power. Being fully man gives him a choice. And that's why in the garden he says, Father, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. But not my will, but yours be done. Being fully human means that God desired to relate with us because God doesn't coexist with sin. The next thing I have for you is that Jesus came so that separation from God could be ended. If you'll pull up that uh, 2 Corinthians passage for me, it says this in verse 5, chapter 5, verse 21. For God made Christ who knew no sin, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. I think for many of us, what we try and do is, if, if this is our life, and, and, and honestly, you may, you may have different sin, right? But let's, let's just say hypothetically, it's not even a hypothetical. Look, we've all got sin, right? Some of y'all sin more than others, but that's okay. Some of y'all are like, no, I don't sin. I don't, I don't do that. Come on. You get cut off in traffic, right? Like, we know. We know. Some of y'all don't think you sin because you think it's, if you post it on Facebook and don't say it, it's okay. 
We've all got sin. And what we do from time to time is we try and like fix it ourselves. So we try and pay for our sins ourselves. But the only way that our sins are paid for is death. And you ain't died yet. But somebody had to die. And that was Jesus. That 2 Corinthians verse again. That for God made Christ to never sin. What does Emmanuel, God with us, mean? It means that God knew that you and I had sin but desired to be with us so that through him we could be made right with God. We try and get to God so many ways. But like, like for some people, the way we try and get to God is through great church attendance. And can I tell you, I love church, right? When you show up, I call that job security. You know, like, <laughs> I love when you show up. But if you think showing up to church on Sunday is what saves you, it's not. You're going to be real sad when you get to heaven. <laughs> if you think that just reading your Bible is what saves you, it's not. I love what, what John says because it's so easy for you and I to get caught up in things to do that we forget. God, the only thing that God asked us to do was put our faith and trust in Jesus, that his payment was sufficient for our sin. Some of us spend so much time trying to dig into the word we missed, the word, which is Jesus. And there's some people in here today that I believe you've been struggling trying to figure out how to grow in your relationship with God, but you've been doing it without Jesus and it won't ever work. Because the only way that we get to God is through Christ. So I have a, a little bit of an illustration for you. Um, so there's this thing called a lever. Now if you say it weird, you'll call it a lever. Um, but... The, <laughs> But there's, there's, two, uh, there's three components to a lever. There's one, which is the resistance arm. And then on the other end, there's the effort arm. And then the thing in the middle is what's called a fulcrum. It's, it's the, the game-changing component that takes place. And so here's what a lot of us do. In life, we will try and just work hard enough, do enough, if I, if I come to church enough, if I pray enough, I might get into a small group, I might serve, I might give. Like, I don't know what your issue is, but, but a lot of times, the way, way we try and cover our sins or overcome our sins, is we just think if we can work hard enough or do enough or be enough, then our sin's covered. It's all good. Or there's others of us, you're not really trying to figure out how to, how to cover it up yourself. You just know that, that man, if... if you don't want God close to it, right? Like, I'll fix me, and then I'll come back to God later. I'll take care of my own sin. I'll take care of my own issues, and then I'll come back to God. And so you may try and work. You may try church attendance, and I'm just trying to get my life together, or it's not my season, whatever you say. And you're trying to get back to God, but the gap between God and you will never be mended by human effort. I have no leverage. And that's why for some of us, we've been stuck in the same addictions, the same patterns, and the same habits for years. Because we try and do more. Like, like you've got 110% effort in this thing, and it's not budging anywhere. 
And so what others of us do is we're like, okay, fine, fine. I got I to gotta give God a little bit. So let me just put him, I'll just keep God kind of at the edge. And even at the edge, I mean, it kind of works, right? There's a little bit of momentum, and I'm, I'm working hard, and I'm doing a lot of stuff, but, but I'm, I don't have any leverage to overcome. And God knew that's where we were. So Emmanuel, God with us, is God literally coming to us so that he could get close enough because the closer God is, the greater his impact. The proximity of God in your life and my life matters. Emmanuel, God with us, is not God standing at a distance going, good luck. It's God saying, Romans 5, 8, that while you were still sinning, while you still had faults, flaws, errors, and issues, God chose to send his son to die on your behalf and mine. And God says, if I can just get close, if I can be Emmanuel, God with us, then the leverage they need to overcome everything that stands against them is covered. But what a lot of us are trying to do is we're trying to overcome our sin without understanding that Jesus has to pay for it first. And you never overcome sin without the payment of Jesus. You might find a good step program. You might find something that brings temporary fulfillment or satisfaction. But the fulcrum of your life and my life, the changing agent, the thing that shifts everything, is, has been, and will forever be Jesus. Because in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. So God sent His Son. And if you and I can't fix this gap, God chose to do it for us. So what does Emmanuel mean? Well, for Adam, Emmanuel means that there's no more covering and hiding. What does Emmanuel mean? It means for Moses that there's no more bondage and captivity. Emmanuel means that if you find yourself in the wilderness, God will be your cloud by day and your pillar of fire by night. It means that when opposition comes against you, it's no match for God. What does Emmanuel mean? It means if you find yourself in a pit of despair, know that God is near to the brokenhearted. If you look at Habakkuk chapter 1, Habakkuk cries out, God, how much longer will I cry out without you listening to me? And what you need to know is even... Even when you can't trace God, you can trust him because he is working on your behalf. What does Emmanuel mean? Emmanuel means for Peter, it means that failure isn't final. For Zacchaeus, it means that greed loses its grip. For the disciples, Emmanuel, God with us, means that fear has no place in their life. For the woman in the, in, at the well in John chapter 4, it means that bad relationships don't define you. For Paul, it means that you can be made new. Emmanuel, God with us, means something to every single person in this room. Emmanuel, God with us for me, means that God is bigger than drug addiction. Because over a little over eight years ago, I was stuck. And, and you want to talk about effort? And I had a ton of effort. I was hopping up and down on this thing, right? 12 step, 2 step. I mean, I was doing it. Nothing was changing. I may have gotten free from drugs for like a few weeks, but I fell right back into it. I, honestly, I thought that if God understood or knew the things that I had done, there's no way he would. Yeah, okay, he's God with, 
Maybe he's God with them, but not God with me. Like, like if God understood my faults and he understood the fact that I made mistakes, and if you understood my sin issues, do you know you've never sinned? And God goes, man, never seen that one. He's not surprised. He's not shocked. Emmanuel, God with us, means in the middle of my sin, in the middle of my mess, in the middle of my mistakes, God doesn't stand off in the distance. He comes running as fast as he can because he knows that it's only him who can save us. It's only him who can redeem us. Emmanuel, God with us, means that God can save me from a drug addiction. But what does it mean for you? What does it mean for you to have God bridge the gap between where you were and where he desires you to be? So, you know, God created us. I told you in Genesis that God created you and I to live in perfection with him. But you know what the beauty of this after we say yes to Jesus This is what heaven looks like. like. Some people talk about heaven as as if you know heaven's just a big worship service, and whether you like your church or not will determine whether or not you're going to have a good time in heaven. <laughs> heaven is you and I being restored back to the way God intended us in the first place. Heaven is Genesis chapter one and two every day. Because God desired us to be close. But in the meantime, while we're still here, what does it mean for us? It means that God is not only with us, but God lives in us. Look at what John, 1 John 4, 4 says. But you belong to God, my dear children. You've already won a victory over those people because the Spirit who lives in you is greater than the spirit who lives in this world. So there's two, yeah, you can clap there. I love the fact that there are definitive statements that were made, not just here, but in the word Emmanuel, when he says God with us, it's not a God will be with us, or God is coming, or God was with us. God with us is he is ever-present right here, right now. Pull that First John verse back up for me real quick. God is with us and here with us. And this is what it says, that you already won a victory. The outcome has already been decided. I know a pastor who was telling me about um, a time they used to play basketball, hit this basketball ministry, but there was this janitor who would always sit in the stadium and would watch them play and one of the things that he did is uh, he would always read his Bible. And so one day the pastor walked up to him and he said, you know, man, what are you, what are you reading? He said, well, I'm reading the book of Revelation, which, you know, hey, man, more power to you, right? So he's, he looks at him and he says, well, well, what does that mean to you? Like, what, what are you getting out of it? He said, oh, it's simple. I read it all the time because Jesus won. And Jesus won. And, and you, may, you may not read the Bible from cover to cover, but here's what you need to know. Jesus won. And the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives within us. So the power to overcome sin is not through you and I utilizing our effort arm. 
but it's letting God get close enough to our situation because he that is in us is greater than anything in the world. What, what self-help teaching will tell you is that you are greater than the stuff in the world. You're not. He is greater. And because he lives in you and he lives in me, we already won the victory. And so growing up, um, growing up, I played checkers. Anybody like checkers? Right? I love me some checkers. You know the best place to play checkers is uh, uh, Cracker Barrel. <laughs> Come on, you know. You sit on that front porch, you get you a, a rocking chair, and you kind of sit back. Man, I love, love playing checkers. Um, but, you know, as I was growing up, I played with my grandpa. And uh, I'm thankful I didn't have a granddad who just let me win. He taught me how to lose and lose well. Um, so we play checkers and sit outside, Cracker Barrel, get some biscuits in our life. As we were playing checkers, um, I would sit there. And there would come a point in the game where, like, if you mess up in checkers, you, you should quit. Just quit. But I wouldn't do that, right? I would, like, try and fight it out. However, as we got closer and closer to the end, I would get to the point where I'd have to think a little bit more about my moves. And so I'd be processing. I'd be kind of processing all of the information. And as I'm looking at the checkerboard, I would know when I've taken too much time because my granddad would look at me and he would say, it's your move. (laughs) Which is a gentle reminder that based on the current circumstance, I have a decision to make. That it's, it's your move. I came to tell you today at this point, it's your move. You've heard the information. We talked about where God created us, but where we were separated because of sin. And now it comes to this point where you have to make a decision for yourself. This is not a decision that can be decided for you. This is not a decision that you can bank on the the decisions that your parents have made in the past. It's not a decision that's really relevant to the decisions your friends are currently making. This is a personal decision that each and every single one of us have to make in life. And that is, will we accept Emmanuel, God with us, will we accept Jesus Christ as the payment of our sin, or will we reject the Word? That's it. And so for just a moment, I want to read John chapter 4 to you. This is what it says. Here's the good news. Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. Just cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. And sometimes the way you and I think about God and the way we think about life is incredibly double-minded. The gap between us and God is there. And if we think that if we can work hard enough or do enough that we'll get back to God, we're double-minded. If we think that cleansing our hands is actually an effort that we can do on our own without Jesus, we're double-minded. To purify our hearts Jeremiah says that the heart is deceitful and wicked above all else. Who can understand it? 
No, what you and I need is Jesus. We need to accept what Jesus did for us to bridge the gap between where we were and where God wanted us to be. And today, it's your move. So for a moment, with every head bowed, every eye closed in the room, I believe that there are some of you here today who you've tried to work hard, you've tried to be good or do good, that if you could just spend enough time, if you could do enough things, then that gap would be mended. But the gap between you and God is not mended through human effort, but by divine intervention. If you've been placing your hope and trust in things rather than the person of Jesus to save you, today is the day where everything changes for you. It's your move. If you're in here and you'd like to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, would you do me a favor for just a moment? Would you lift your hand and say, hey, that's me. I see those. I see those all around the room. Thank you, Lord. Here's what we're going to do, church. Nobody prays alone. We're all going to pray together. Say this with me. Dear Jesus, today I give you my life. I place my hope and trust in you. Thank you for dying in my place so that I could have new life. In Jesus' name, amen.